Hello and welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can contact Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Today on our podcast, we hear our sermon from this weekend, Transfiguration Sunday, where Pastor Ben talks about transformation in our hearts, lives, community, and world. Thanks for listening. Let's get growing. Well, in the mid-90s, there was something that kind of came into vogue. It kind of caught our national attention, and it was called the auto-stereogram. Now, you probably didn't call it that. You probably called it the magic eye. And it was a, a 2D image that, if you looked at it just right, would actually produce a 3D image. I mean, this was so popular, and it captured our attention so much that it actually was featured on such shows as Seinfeld and Friends, the two premier TV shows of the 90s. And it looked a little bit like this, right? Just looks like kind of like gravel, a 2D image. But if you look just right, if you start it just right, if your mind perceives it just so, you actually should be seeing a 3D rendering of a dinosaur, which honestly, this has never been my cup of tea. I have stared at these things for hours upon hours upon hours, and I have rarely, rarely, rarely ever seen the 3D image. Now, some of you were really good at it. You looked at it right away, saw it right away. Some of you, you looked at it for hours or maybe at least long minutes and you, and you finally got it to pop out. But it was one of those things that once you see it, you can't unsee it. Once you have that experience and you, and you see that it's much more than a 2d image, you see this picture in such a different way that every time you look at it, you see the 3d rendering. And you probably remember these being on calendars and in books and in offices because People just love to experience this 3D appearance of these pictures. Now, in your life, somewhere along your journey, you've probably had experiences like this as well. You've probably had a conversation, or you probably have read a book, or you've been in a class, or there's been something happening that all of a sudden, you thought life was one way, but all of a sudden, it just came into its full being in front of you. It's almost like you began to see the world in 3D. For me, an experience that was very much like that was when I went to college and I took a history course there. Now, I took the history course because I was forced to take the history course. I had always hated history because when I experienced history in high school, this is what it was. Learn this name, hear this story, learn this fact, and then write it down when I ask you to. That was history for me. It was just learning names and faces and figures and dates. And I just did that over and over again and tried really hard to get my A, right? That was all history was. But when I went to college, the professor did all of those things, but then he asked me a question. He said, what does this mean to you? What have you learned from this historical event? How does it apply to your life? 
And when he asked me that simple question, it shifted how I understood history completely. It went from a 2D thought process to a full 3D image for me. You see, I learned in that moment that history is something that I can learn from. In fact, I can look at other people's lives, learn from their lives so I don't repeat those mistakes, or sometimes I have the same successes because I repeat the process that got them to their success. And it made me understand history in such a different sphere. It changed my life. Now, as we read through the scripture today, we're actually going to encounter a guy. His name is Paul. And he wrote some letters to some people that we're going to read today, but Paul's life was exactly like this. Paul came to an amazing awareness that transformed his life. You see, Paul was actually a persecutor of the church. In his 2D image of the world, he thought that Christians were buying into a lie. And so he thought it was a good idea, the right thing to do to actually eradicate this belief from the face of the earth. Even if he had to eradicate the people who believed in that truth in his mind. Well, as he was doing this, as he was killing people, as he was doing everything he could to stop this movement of Christ, he has a powerful interaction with Jesus. And Jesus tells him that he's actually going in the wrong direction. He's not seeing the world clearly. And this transforms his understanding of the world. And in that moment, everything changed. And Paul became the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. He ended up writing a majority of the New Testament as he began to see the world for what the world really was. And as he journeyed from place to place to place, he came into a city called Corinth. Now to understand Corinth, I think we can just kind of look at some of our modern day cities. We can look at Vegas, right? Vegas, Sin City. We've all heard it. And we all know the phrase, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Yeah, you all got it. Well, in Corinth, they had a similar phrase. It was called to live like a Corinthian. And to live like a Corinthian meant that you lived lavishly, you spent a lot of money and you had a lot of money and you fully indulged in every sensuality. That's what that meant. So if someone called you a Corinthian, that was the lifestyle that you lived. Because Corinth was an incredibly important city in Greece. It was the most important city in Greece and it was incredibly rich and there was a lot of sin. It was the modern day or in that day, the sin city of that world. And see, Paul, as he was called to be a missionary, as his life was transformed, he started a pattern where he would go from city to city to city. And he would share the story of Christ, and as people's hearts were transformed and people were moved, he would plant a church. And when he felt that church was ready, he would move on and repeat that process. Well, all of a sudden, he made his way into Corinth. Corinth, a city that was built on the opposite premise of everything that he believed and everything that he knew. And you got to imagine when he walked into the city, it was probably very scary, but he succeeded and he planted a church. And as was his pattern, once he planted the church, he would go on and plant another church, but he always stayed connected. He always checked in. Sometimes he would physically go back and to see how things were doing. And sometimes he would write letters. And so today we're actually going to navigate through a letter that Paul wrote to this city of Corinth this city where all the church was surrounded by evil, but they were a beacon of hope. Well, the problem was, as they were surrounding by this kind of evil, this mode, is that there was corruption that was creeping into the church. And so Paul actually wrote his first letter to the Corinthians to kind of push them back in the right direction. You see, they had got caught up into some really bad, unhealthy practices in the church. 
And there was really four things that were happening. The first one is that they were infighting all the time. They were fighting their leaders. They were fighting with each other. It was just constantly squabbling. It was creating an uh, element of unhealth in the church. The other thing that was happening in that moment is that they all, all were actually participating in sexual immorality. In fact, Paul says that their sexual immorality was worse than actually the areas around them, an area known for that type of behavior. You see, the culture was permeating their church. The other thing that was happening was that they had really bad communion practices, and this is what they did. They would line the people up by prestige. And so the rich people or the high-ranking people would actually take communion first, and then what would happen is they would run out. So by the time the poor people got to the front, they actually couldn't receive the sacrament. The last thing that was happening in that church that Paul had to address was that their church orders were in disarray. So when they came for the church service, people would be talking all over the place and there was no real pattern of worship. And so it was just creating an unhealth, an inability to really communicate the gospel. Well, once Paul addressed it, the church was restored. The church's health was lifted and everything was going really well. And so Paul writes 2 Corinthians to encourage them. Keep going in this course. Keep going in this pattern. Everything's going good. Just keep moving towards Christ and his work in your life. And it's in the midst of that that we run into chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians when Paul writes this. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others. So all throughout this passage of scripture, we're going to see the pronoun we used over and over and over again. Sometimes it's talking about the we, meaning all Christians. Sometimes it's the grand we of Paul and the church of Corinth. And sometimes the we just means Paul and a young man named Timothy, who he was mentoring in the faith and who is bringing with him and training him up to also become a great missionary in the world. But in this moment, he uses the word we, and he's really talking about himself and Timothy, but he's kind of gently including the church of Corinth into it as kind of a, a mode of encouragement of saying, this is actually how we should behave. He says, we should persuade others. We should be intentional about having conversations with people and explaining what we believe and why we believe, because that's what Paul was all about going from city to city to city, having these conversations, persuading people, and then planting a church, and then doing the same thing in the next area where God had taken him. But he said this, this is what drives me. He says, it's the fear of the Lord that drives me to do this thing that's incredibly scary. But when we hear the fear of the Lord, it's not terror. It's not like a horror movie. It's not like God is going to strike him dead. It's actually better translated as the awe of the Lord. What Paul is saying is, I understand that God loves me. I understand that God loves the world. I understand that God's way is the best. And so because of that, because of my awe of the Lord, I'm going to do what he told me to do. And he told me to go around and share the love of God with people. It was laid out in the Great Commission, repeated in Acts. It's for all of us to do exactly that, to share God's love with the world. So Paul continues. But we ourselves are well known to God. And I hope that we are also known to your consciences. He says, we, now he's talking about everyone. We ourselves are known to God. And what he's saying is, hey, I have made it a goal of my life to persuade others. However, if that doesn't happen in your life, if you don't share your faith, you are still known by God. In other words, he's saying, this is not a salvation issue. 
You're not going to lose your salvation. You're not going to lose your opportunity to be with God in heaven and have that perfect relationship if you don't. However, he says, now he's talking about we, he's talking about Paul, he's talking about Timothy. He says, hopefully what we do helps you understand what's good. Hopefully the way we act helps you understand how we actually should behave or how we, we can behave. Now we should do this. It's not a salvation issue, but hopefully you see by our example how we can act and how we can engage and how we can actually transform the world for, for Christ. So he goes on. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to boast about us. In other words, what he's saying is, hey, I'm not trying to brag about myself, but I am trying to give you an opportunity to look at my life, look at how I behave, and then you actually can use me to be boastful. In other words, you can use me as a proof text. Look at Paul. Look at his life transformation. Look at how he's living his life. I mean, there's got to be something to that. There's got to be some truth in that. If he lives his life like that, as if, if his life was transformed that much, there must be some truth there. And Paul goes on. So that you may be able to answer those who boast in outward appearance and not in the heart. So once again, he says, use me as this proof text. Use me as proof text that this faith is real and that it is true. You see, just like in our modern day, in that day, they had people who spoke really well who dressed really nice, who looked really good, and they were kind of the self-help gurus of that day. But everyone kind of knew that even though they looked good and sounded good and, and they really had some, maybe some pretty good things to say, that their heart was really far from that, that their actions were disconnected from their heart and their words. But Paul says, this is not so with me. My heart matches up perfectly. Now, I might not look as good. I might not speak as well. I might not have the nicest clothes, but there's no denying that my heart matches the word. So Paul goes on. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. And Paul just basically doubles down on this idea. He says, I don't actually care what you think about me or what you think I look like or how you think I sound. Because I don't care about any of that as long as it gets to the point across that Jesus is real and Jesus can do something with your life. Beyond that, I don't care what you think about me. And Paul continues. For the love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. Now what's driving Paul? What's, what's allowing him to live in this space where he doesn't care what people think about him? So he's only concerned about two things, the love of Christ bestowed on him, which is driving him. He wants to share that love with others and the fact that he is thoroughly convinced. He's thoroughly convinced that Jesus is who he said he was. Remember, Paul was an avid persecutor of the church. He was willing to kill people who believed in Jesus, but all of a sudden everything changed. Everything changed because he was thoroughly convinced that Jesus was who Christ said he was. And when that happened, his life was transformed. He was convinced. He became a proof text for the reality that Jesus was real. The disciples were the same way. These guys walked with Jesus day and night, every moment for three years. And in the end, they were convinced that this guy had no faults, that this guy was perfect. And then he died and they lost hope and they lost faith. 
But then something happened. They experienced a resurrected Christ. And when they experienced a resurrected Christ, everything changed for them. They began to see the world in a different way. And they were thoroughly convinced. In fact, I believe that Paul and I believe the disciples are a proof text for us. A way that we can be thoroughly convinced because there is no way that these guys, who most of them went to horrible, brutal deaths because of their profession of faith, there is no way that they would do this for a lie. There is no way that they would suffer and suffer and suffer just to simply spread a lie around the world. You see, they were convinced so that we can be convinced. Well, Paul goes on. And he died for all, so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. So Paul once again says, hey, if Christ is who he said he was, and if Christ offers what he's offered to us, then we should reorient our lives, everything in our lives, around Christ, around his teachings, and around his patterns. So Paul goes on. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So what Paul is saying is, when my life was radically transformed, when everything shifted, I actually began to see the world differently. See, when I used to look at Christ, I just saw a man. When I used to look at Christ, I saw a guy who was spreading a lie, who's trying to deceive people and mess with people. But when I knew that wasn't true, when I knew this amazing truth that Jesus was actually God in flesh, that God loved us so much that he came to live among us, interact with us, teach us, show us how to live life, when I became aware of that, it transformed everything in my life, including how I view other people. See, Paul used to view Christians as the enemy. But now, Paul viewed no one as the enemy. Paul saw all of humanity in the image of Christ. Paul knew that everyone was created by God because he loved them. Paul knew that everyone had the opportunity to connect with Christ. And so he viewed no one as the enemy. In our modern day, it might sound a little bit like this. You know, I might be a Republican, but I'm not going to view a Democrat as the enemy because they're made in the image of Christ. And God loves them. Or I might be a Democrat, but I'm not going to view a Republican in that way as the enemy because they're made in the image of Christ and Christ loves them. Therefore, I love them. I might be from Rock Falls and I might look at people from Sterling as the enemy, but I won't, right? Because they're made in the image of God and God loves them. Or vice versa, right? I might be from Sterling and I look at Rock Falls, even though Rock Falls just beats Sterling in basketball. We don't need to talk about that. That did happen. It was a big game. But we don't need to view people that way. When I'm a believer and I view the world and I see people doing things counter to the way I wish they would do them, they are not the enemy. They are made in the image of God and we love them. So Paul closes with this. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Now, if you've been around New Life for a while, you're very familiar with this verse. It's on the screen every time you walk in. It's the theme verse of the church, written for us, guiding us, written by Paul to the city of Corinth. 
written by Paul for us in Sterling, Illinois. But see, sometimes when you read this verse and we see this verse, sometimes we have a 2D understanding of what it really means. You see, we, we read this idea of being a new creation or in different translations, it says new life. When we see this idea of a new life or new creation or transformation, sometimes what we do is we assume or we think that all that transformation has to deal with is eternity. So we think, oh yeah, Jesus came so that we can go to heaven. Jesus died on the cross that our sins can be forgiven and we go to heaven and we just kind of stop there. And sometimes churches even stop there and sometimes pastors even stop there. And so they just repeat the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says everything, everything has become new. Everything in your life can experience new life, a restoration, a pattern that God has set for you for incredible health and vibrance. You see, I believe that, that this idea is transformational. I believe this understanding actually changes our 2D understanding of Christianity, a 2D understanding of Christ into a, a 3D beautiful landscape of what Christ really offers us. In fact, I, I believe that this flat 2D understanding of Christ, this, well, Christ is just for the eternity and Christ just offers us heaven and it's just that is one of the major reasons that people have kind of disconnected from church. Because if that's all we have to offer, if that's all that Christ was really trying to offer, yeah, I believe I'm good to go. I was baptized, I'm good to go. I, I can come on Easter because I know I'm going to hear that story. And if they're just going to repeat it over and over and over again, I don't really need to plug in because I get it. I've arrived. Now I just wait patiently until the end. But if that was the truth, we wouldn't need to be here. If that was it, if that was all God was trying to accomplish, we wouldn't have to be here. Because once we believe, once we are baptized, once we are connected with Christ, he'd just take us. But that's not everything he has to offer. That's, of course, an incredible part of the conversation. But Paul says there's so much more. Everything can experience new life. And it's in this passage that we see this incredibly exciting and powerful truth. The transformation is promised. Transformation is not implied or hoped for. It, it is promised that if we plug into Christ and plug into his word, that not, not only do we have new life in the future, but we can have new life in the present. That means that God has something to say about our relationships, about our marriages, about our friendships. That means God has something to say about our school and our studies and our work and our hobbies and our finances and every area of life that God can bring new life into every element. And when we look at the world that way and when we understand that way and when we understand that truth, there's a reason to come back every week. There's a reason to listen to podcasts. There's a reason to study your Bible because God has something to say to you about every area of your life to bring life into that truth. So today we, we close up a series that we've been studying for the last five weeks or so, but really we're closing up a series that we started a long time ago in September when we first started talking about this idea of transformation. But this series, even though it's coming to a close, it's not the end. 
And it's honestly not even the beginning. We basically are just re-engaging with a truth that has always been the ethos and the core of new life. We literally titled our church after this verse. And this verse goes up in front of you every Sunday. So today I'm making you a commitment as a pastor, as a friend, as a fellow member at New Life, that we are going to take this even a step further, that we're going to recommit ourselves to this truth and this idea that new life is possible in Christ, not only in the, in the eternal, but in the temporary. Every day, Christ can bring his life. And that's why we've been having these conversations these mission and vision conversations, whether you realize it or not, a whole bunch of series talking about this truth, that God wants to transform every area of your life. And we started with our mission. What is the purpose of the church? And we said, hey, it's transformed hearts. God wants to grab you and change you for the eternal and the temporary. And when he grabs hold of your heart, And he grabs hold of your mind. You begin to think differently. You begin to act differently. And when you act differently and you let it encompass every area of your life, it will radically transform and bring life and power into your marriage and your finances and your work and every relationship and every hobby and every conversation, every moment. And when that happens, when you experience a transformed heart and a transformed life, this is what you can expect to see. And this is what we can expect to see as a church. This is our vision. This is our hope. This is our expectation. If these things actually happen, we will experience a transformed community because we live in our communities and we have influence over the people that we engage with and we will begin to affect them for the light of Christ. We will influence them and transform our communities where we work and where we live and where we play. And as the word goes out, not only have we sent missionaries intentionally around the world to different directions of the globe, to bring transformation there. But we will travel. Sooner or later, for you, some of you might move to different areas of the world. Some of you might have connections online or in person as you travel or engage with different people and you bring this truth of Christ into lives that they can too experience transformation. And we see the natural result. Our heart is changed. Our life is changed. Our community is changed. And our world is changed. <laughs>